This is What's the Deal, Grossiel, the podcast that explores the people, places, history, and events that make Grossiel unique. I'm your host, Ben Fote. Boy, do I have a whopper for you today. You may remember that in April of this year, 2021, a really large fish was caught in the water around Grossiel. When analyzed, it was determined to be over 100 years old. It's a lake sturgeon, one of the most interesting fish of the Great Lakes. A couple of the folks we've heard from already, namely John Hartig and Todd Weston, told me that the folks who were involved in that catch could tell us about it and the work they do for the Fish and Wildlife Service. And this is that episode. The Fish and Wildlife Service region we're in has offices in Alpena, Michigan, but we're also likely to have the Refuge Gateway and the Fish Laboratory just on the other side of the channel in Trenton and Gibraltar. One of the best parts is that all of those folks love to talk about their work and why it's important. So let's get to that. Justin Scheid is a team leader with the Fish and Wildlife Services Detroit River Fish Laboratory, and that's in Gibraltar. And he's joined by Jason, Paige, and Jennifer from the office there. Thanks thanks to all of you for joining me today on What's the Deal, Grossiel? Thank you. Glad to be here. So what does the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service Conservation Office and the Fish Laboratory do? Yeah, so um, the Detroit River substation near uh, Gibraltar, located in Gibraltar, um, we're just, we're part of a larger office. We operate out of the Alpena Fish and Wildlife Conservation Office. So we're like a satellite office from, from Alpena. Out of our office, we work really closely with the Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge. We're co-located on property of the refuge. But we focus on native species uh, restoration, work with threatened and endangered aquatic species. And that is what Jason, uh, Jenny, and Paige all do in, in our program. But out of our office, we also have an early detection and monitoring program looking for aquatic invasive species. And then a grass carp program um, trying to look at and eradicate uh, grass carp um, within Lake Erie and Lake Huron as well. Wow. And so that's a huge area. How do you manage such a, such a big area? Do you have a lot of people that you work with? It is a huge area. Basically, the Alpena office covers from the St. Mary's River in northern Lake Huron, all the way into, into Lake Erie and near the Ohio and Pennsylvania border. Now, that's a, a really good question. And the, the only way that we could do all the work that we do is through partnerships, even in the Fish and Wildlife Services mission. It specifically states, we work with our partners to conserve and restore aquatic resources in our waters. So we work with partners, our state partners, Michigan DNR, state of Ohio, a a lot of state partners, and then also uh, partners in Canada, the Department of Fisheries and Oceans, Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources. We work really closely with them. Too many partners to, to name, I guess. And definitely the Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge would be a big piece of that then. So at least for your office, yeah, yes, or your your division. The big reason that you guys came up on the radar is that in April this year, I think uh, some of you were at least in the boat and caught a sturgeon in a fish survey, and it made the national news. It was even so big that it was on the Kid News podcast. It's only like a three to five minute news podcast that distributes worldwide, and it made the news in this little update for middle school kids. So it was really amazing. Tell me about this fish. Yeah, Paige, Jenny, and I were were all on the boat. This is Jason, by the way. Yeah, so we were just sampling as part of our routine fishery survey uh, targeting lake sturgeon. So we have a 
survey that we do every year to help us get an idea of how many fish lake sturgeon are actually in the Detroit River and in the St. Clair Rivers. And you know, typically we catch fish probably in the three to four foot range, 40 still pretty to big. 60 pounds. Yeah, they're still big fish by, by uh, any standard. Um, the one we caught that particular day, let me see this, it was towards the end of April this year, was um, a 240 pound, I think six foot 11 fish. <laughs> quite a bit bigger than anything we had ever seen. And it was actually one of my first days on the boat doing these surveys. So it was, wasn't as immediate to me how big the fish was until we actually got it on the boat. Jenny and Paige had been doing this for a lot longer. So they had a better idea of what we were getting into before we got it up on the boat. But I was maybe a little bit more clueless at the time. How big was the boat? 26 foot aluminum. But yeah, Paige and I have been doing the survey for what, like five years at least. And up until this point, the largest fish that both of us had seen was like just over six foot and like 120 pounds. So like when we it first surfaced, like at least I thought, okay, that's a big fish. It's at least as big as the one we had caught before, maybe like 150 pounds. It wasn't until like it was actually in the boat that I think I realized just how big this fish actually was. Wow. And I would imagine a, a fish that big could really fight. Uh, did it, did it fight or how, how does that work? Did it, was it pretty easy to pull in for, for a fish? That, that, was, that was the weird part. It kind of just, appeared on the line. <laughs> um, a lot of times they fight on our set lines that we have in the water, but this one, we struggled more to just get it in the net. And I remember all three of us kind of thinking like, we just really hope we can land this fish and get her in the boat because if we don't, no one's going to believe us. <laughs> <laughs> I would not have believed them by the way, because yeah. there and they would have said it would have been the biggest fish ever. And I would have said, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. But in fishing, you, you talk about tests. So what test line is on this? Is it, What are the chances that it would break a line? They break our, our hooks more than the line, I would say. So are you familiar with a trot line at all? Personally, um, no, but I'm sure the listeners will be a little bit. Okay. So we essentially have a line that runs in between two anchors with the anchors have buoy lines with buoys attached that run up to the surface. And on this line that runs in between the two anchors that sit on the river bottom, we have 50 hooks. So we use 25 um, nine knot hooks and 25 one knot hooks. Those are attached to the main mother line with a snoo, just like a little metal clip. And then off that little clip, there's, what would you, how big would you say that line is? Guys. That's a just like regular twine. And that twine is about 250 pound test twine. That's not your normal fishing operation though. What happens more than that when a sturgeon gets off is they might not bust the line per se, but the weight, they just get they get off the hook more than, than busting sure. line. We have seen them bust the, the snooze like Paige mentioned before. Sturgeon anatomy is kind of unique too. Like they have their mouth parts. So they have like lips that are hard cartilage and then behind the lip is just soft tissue. So usually when they're sucking up these hooks off the river bottom, it's getting caught 
initially on that lip, but then goes through that soft tissue behind it. And when they're on the line for a while, you know, they're fighting, trying to get off and that hole kind of opens up a tiny bit. So usually when we get them to the bowl, yeah, well not tear through, but that releases enough pressure where sometimes they're able to just kind of move the right way and then they get off. So. Yeah. That would not be a good day for that fish. No. And they don't swallow the hooks too. So it's pretty healthy for the fish. It makes it easy and easy on us. Well, let's talk about what, what sturgeon look like. Uh, I think the only time I've seen, I've seen a sturgeon is there's a model in the, in Great Lakes Metro Park in their nature center. That's, that's what I've seen. I think of them as looking sort of like a, a rhinoceros. That's a new one. I don't think we've heard that one before. <laughs> no. I know we've heard sharks and we've heard, I've heard catfish, but not that. (laughs) I think that, I think that might be my new favorite. (laughs) But so describe describe what they look like. Jenny. So I would say they're like, if a shark and a dinosaur met, for lack (laughs) of better terms, they're usually fairly long. They have... Their dorsal fin is like closer to their tail. And then their tail, what makes them look more like sharks is their tail. And that the two lobes of the tail are different lengths. The the top lobe is longer than the bottom. And then like their skin is what I kind of think is more dinosaur-like or primitive. It's not like the typical scales of a fish. Their actual skin kind of feels sandpapery. But then they have the five rows of what are called scoots. And these are like almost like armor plates for them that they use, especially when they're little for protection. That, that's what makes it look like a rhinoceros to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you guys spend a lot of time working with lake sturgeon. What, what makes them so important to, to monitor so closely? So lake sturgeon are a, a threatened or endangered species in the Great Lakes and many of the states throughout their, their native range. And I guess we're, we're pretty lucky working in the St. Clair Detroit River system. This is, you know, the, one of the largest populations of lake sturgeon in the Great Lakes. So we estimate that there's around 30,000 fish in the St. Clair and Detroit rivers. Um, so the work, what we're trying to do is restore populations throughout Lake Huron and Lake Erie, kind of the bodies of water that we're primarily focused on. We can do that through a number of different ways. We're working with partners to stock fish. We're working with partners to evaluate the habitat in certain tributaries or areas where we think they could be uh, reintroduced. We also do that through monitoring and just learning about habitat use, survival rates, and yeah, other other metrics for the population. Do the the sturgeon have? We we talked before the interview started about treaty negotiations with with native people. Um, do do the sturgeon have any significance to um, to the tribes that are around around Michigan? Yes, they they do. I'm I'm not as familiar with. Um, their relationship with maybe some of the, the local tribes near, near Grosseal. Um, but I did used to work for the Little River Band of Ottawa Indians in Manistee, Michigan. And a lot of the tribal members were very closely tied to, to Lake Sturgeon. And they had a lot of cultural significance for the tribe in Manistee and other tribes in Michigan as well. We do. do um, we host in Port Huron area too. Yearly, there's the Blue Water Sturgeon Festival. 
And we usually try to have an adult and a juvenile surgeon on display so that the public can come by and see them and just kind of get a little education about what lake surgeon are up to in the Great Lakes. And a tribe in that area always comes out and does kind of a, a ceremony over the release of the fish too when we put it back in the river. So the public are able to kind of get a little glimpse into what this fish means to Native Americans too. So it's pretty interesting to see. Yeah, that's got to be quite a tank. It's like a cattle trough, a little bigger. <laughs> yeah, pretty amazing. Because because sturgeon are are protected, obviously you shouldn't be catching them. How likely is it that somebody fishing around Grosseal would catch one on accident? I th- it would be um, very likely that they could catch a fish, especially in the spring during the walleye season um, when a lot of uh, boaters and recreational fishermen are out there. We rut- routinely see fishermen with lake sturgeon on their line. And a lot of that to me is kind of kind of funny because many times you'll see like two other people in the boat either trying to continue to fish or not fishing and almost like looking mad at the person with the sturgeon because it can take like two or three hours to get the fish in. Right. (laughs) And so uh, some people will just say, yeah, we had one on. It broke our line. But over the years, I mean, it's very common in the spring during the walleye run to see fishermen catch sturgeon or have them on their their line. And there is a fishery for sturgeon uh, in Lake St. Clair and in the St. Clair River. Um, the state of Michigan allows uh, fishing in that area. And it's a, a really big recreational opportunity for those folks. And it's growing every year. Do they have a cap on how many can be caught or is it uh, a season? They do have a season. I am not Maybe somebody else on the line knows the exact dates, but you could look in the Michigan DNR regulations as well. And there's also a slot limit where they only allow harvest of one fish a year. You have to get a special permit from the Michigan DNR in order to do that. And I want to say you can only harvest a fish between 42 to 50 inches, but maybe uh, okay. Jason, somebody else could uh, correct me if I'm Yeah, right. it's a it's a really small slot limit, but when you go and buy your yearly fishing license through the state, you're asked a question, do you want your muscle lung tag and do you want your lake sturgeon tag? So you have the option to get printed with your normal state of Michigan fishing license as well too. And then you're supposed to report that catch to the state. And usually uh, sometimes if it's a tagged fish, we'll get contact, Fish and Wildlife will get contact, the Michigan DNR will get contacted and you can get pretty cool letter in the mail stating the history of that fish. And we originally caught it and tagged it in a patch as well. And then those anglers usually go on to kind of be one of our biggest like conservationists and speakers about some of the species too. They get really hyped up and excited. And it's, it's cool when we're out on the river too, like people will tell us, Hey, we caught a sturgeon over here. You might want to fish over there. Or there's a couple commercial fishermen that are making a business out of it on the St. Clair river too. And Jenny and I actually had the opportunity to go out and fish with one of them. And they're super gentle with all the fish. Like it's, pretty interesting to see other people get really passionate about the species like we are too. Oh, not, not commercial fish. Charter, charter, sorry. Thanks. Yeah. The charters, yeah. Charter. <laughs> so are there, are there surveys for other fish? Do you survey the walleye and, and the bass? Yeah, we have a annual gillnet survey as well that targeted primarily walleye and some of the sucker species. So white sucker and red horse species that takes place earlier in the spring when water temperatures are colder and the, the fish are in their spawning. And so the the main point of those surveys is to track track trends in 
the abundance of those species through time. So we can kind of see how well the those different populations are doing within the Detroit River and also in the, the St. Clair River. Yeah, so they're, you know, indicators of, of health of the system. So by you know, monitoring the fish community as a whole, we're able to get a better picture than if we were just solely focused on lake sturgeon. And Jason is right on. One of our other gears is gillnets so, that we use. The walleye in particular, the the walleye season for downriver is a tremendous, really a boon to the economy, right? People come in from all over the country to to fish this small area. And, you know, obviously you guys, you guys know the boat traffic that happens on at Elizabeth Park and, and otherwise. And I'm sure Gibraltar's packed full of boats going into and charters and all that sort of stuff. So that's a commercial aspect of what you guys are doing and, and how that supports the economy besides the, the conservation of the, of the place. Are there other commercial aspects? Are, are there any commercial fishing? Is there commercial fishing in Lake Erie um, or Lake Huron? There are still uh, commercial fishing programs in Lake Huron and Lake Erie. You know, one of the programs, I guess, Jenny, I'll let you speak with uh, speak about this for the us working with the Ohio commercial fishermen on, on a project. Yeah, we are. We currently are working with Ohio DNR and a handful of different commercial fishermen in Ohio. They tend to go out um, and set their gear and are mainly mainly targeting like perch and walleye and a few other species. But when they are catching those species, they have a chance of potentially also catching sturgeon. So we are working with them and have given them tag readers. So all sturgeon that are handled within the Great Lakes, like every agency tends to put what is called a pit tag in them. And it's basically the same thing that dogs get, like the microchip that dogs get. So we're giving these fishermen readers and asking them to scan the fish that they catch to hopefully determine like where these fish came from. In particular, we're interested in um, if they're coming from the Maumee River, because for the last few years, we have been working with the Toledo Zoo and a few other partners to um, stock young sturgeon about like six to eight inches into the Maumee River. And we have, through this program and other tagging and tracking programs, we have found out that these small fish are traveling out into Lake Erie. And we've had maybe a handful of them caught by commercial fishermen so far. And they seem to be doing really well. The fish in just like two to three years have like doubled or tripled in size and seem to be very healthy. It's kind of a neat program because the commercial fishermen scan these fish and then send us an image of the fish, like with a board and like the date it was caught and like the tag number and everything. So we can like actually see how these fish are doing. I don't know. I I have fun working with them and doing it. That's pretty neat. The, um, you know, we think of, we think of like, so African animals, they might tag them and they'll, they'll have GPS. They can, they can radio. Can you do that sort of thing? I mean, it's obviously too big to, you know, put a collar around a fish or something, but, but is, is there technology to be able to actually track like live tracking of fish underwater? Yeah. So 
these microchips, you actually have to have the scanner to like detect them, but there's other tags that we can put in fish. It's usually like a small surgery, like with an incision in the abdomen and then like a tag put into their abdomen and it's sutured up. And with these tags, you can either actively track them like with equipment on your boat, or there is a series of receivers throughout Lake Erie and all the Great Lakes that every time these fish with these transmitters like passes these receivers, it logs it. And then like whoever it's either like us or USGS or DNR from whatever state or even Canada um, will go and like basically download all this information of all these fish that have passed through this area. And then, you know, everyone gets information about their fish. It's really kind of, a nice collaborative process. Yeah, it sounds great. It also sounds sort of like a like a home confinement system. Like like they're <laughs> they're not allowed to leave. Well, they can leave. They can go wherever <laughs> right. they want. It's just we know where they're going. So what yeah. what would cause I mean that sounds like a big investment, right? So yes. what what kind of fish would get that sort of tag? Like this hundred year old sturgeon, I would imagine, would be a possibility, but it's probably too old. You probably wouldn't want to do surgery on a fish uh, like that. Yeah, it kind of depends on the objective of, of the survey and what species we want to learn more about. You know, that big infrastructure and all these acoustic receivers, and a lot of this work is led by the Great Lakes Acoustic Telemetry Observation System called GLATOS. So it is a big partnership, like Jenny mentioned, where many folks are inputting data uh, into that system in cooperation with GLATOS. But as far as sturgeon goes, there's hundreds near in the Detroit River, St. Clair Detroit River system that have been tagged. Okay. These acoustic receivers in them. So a uh, project led by the U.S. Geological Survey and Dr. Daryl Hondorp out of uh, uh, the Great Lakes Science Center in Ann Arbor from 2011 to 2015, we tagged 300 adult sturgeon with these acoustic transmitters, they last about 10 years in time. And so we're still gaining information about the movement of those fish, but we're also doing other projects looking at juvenile sturgeon down near Grosseal, the fish that we stock in the Maumee River too. We can get tags that we can implant in those small wow. fish that Jenny mentioned, the six to eight inches. Wow. Now going back to, uh, going back to the tags uh, for fishing, um, just recently I, I heard a lot of big project that talked about why animal tags for, for hunting and fishing increase the value of, of the animals to the people that live near them. This example was, was African hunting permits for, for things like a rhinoceros that, that has been condemned that's, that's causing problems. And so they, they want to tag it and then somebody pays, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to be able to, to shoot it. But, you know, as far as, as far as hunting licenses, especially for sturgeon, say, on, on the St. Clair River, the idea is that giving that fish a monetary value that somebody has paid to fish this fish, and then they go and spend their tourism money, their ecotourism money in the community, creates a community that that prizes that environment better. Have you thought about that at all? That's a, that's a really good point you bring up. And, and I guess that 
I guess we have a pretty good example of that right in the system that we work on, right in the St. Clair River. The city of Algonac is deemed the sturgeon angling capital of Michigan, I believe it's called, because of the opportunity that people have there to capture capture sturgeon. And it seems like downriver would be the walleye capital of, of Michigan, uh, just from, from the number of, of boats I've seen. Maybe maybe there are other areas that have more, but, but it, it seems like maybe the rest of Metro Detroit doesn't realize the value of the, the fishing that we do have in the area. Is there an estimate of how much value in fishing happens in this, in this region on the rivers from St. Clair down? There is an estimate, and I would probably not get the number right off the top of my head, but a recent graduate student out of Central Michigan University, Dana Castle, is currently working on a report summarizing the monetary value of, of fishing in the St. Clair Detroit River system through, through creel estimates, right? So the state of Michigan has um, employees that go out and monitor the harvest and as well as the Ontario Ministry of Natural Resources. So I might be able to get you that number here in a, in a few minutes. <laughs> All right. I also want to like uh, mention that with the sturgeon harvest on the St. Clair River, we work closely with the sturgeon biologists from the Michigan DNR that do work up there. Of all the people that go out and angle and catch sturgeon, I think they usually only have like maybe one or two dozen sturgeon that are actually kept a year out of however hundreds that are caught. It's like, I think most people go out and want to have the experience of catching them, but they just actually don't want to harvest them. (laughs) Yeah. Are they, are they known as good eating fish or? I personally have never had it, but I've heard of people that smoke it and eat it, but yeah, no idea. People smoke eels too. I never, I did never realize that was a thing until I, there was a TV show about it. Actually, well, what are some ways that we, as as downriver residents, as gross eel islanders, what are ways we can make a difference for the health of the river and the creatures that live there? Very, very good question. I, I did uh, want to mention that many of the um, residents of gross eel probably see our gear and our orange buoys that we. S- set out along the river every year. So I did want to mention just to like keep an eye out of our gear. I'm, I'm very glad we're able to participate in this podcast and um, folks will know, you know, you, there's probably a set line or our gear deployed there. So, and if you see us while we're there, come and, and say hi to us and we'll give you a little, uh, maybe a show of what we have on, on our vessel. But one of the things that I guess I would advocate for is to to folks become, you know, more involved with the Detroit River International Wildlife Refuge. There's a lot of good work going on there. Um, and then also just, um, I see more and more like river cleanups, you know, and things like that around. I think that would be kind of uh, good to get involved with, but maybe, maybe Paige has some more thoughts on that to put, put her on the spot. <laughs> Thanks, Justin. There's a ton of volunteer opportunities. I mean, if, if anyone were able to walk into the refuge or get in contact with someone at the refuge, Jody Demir, Steve Duchesne, to begin with, we're always looking for volunteers. Anything from river cleanups to cleaning out invasive spe- um, plant species. We actually have a bunch of educational programs that will be happening within schools in the area. Really, the, the, the sky is your limit, I would say. 
or how to be involved. But to touch on that too, just kind of being aware of your surroundings. I mean, being conscious of your different resource usage. You know, if you're going fishing, don't dump your bait in the water. Take it home with you. Be conscious of single-use plastics. Don't leave your trash. Leave no trace concepts, things like that. I mean, just being a good steward of the environment is a really great place to start. I will second the leave no trace and take your trash with you because throughout our surveys and pulling our gear in, we have pulled up the craziest things and so much plastic and so much like things that you think should not be in the river, but we have found them. Like the one thing that comes to mind is like a pot, like a cooking pot we pulled up on a line. So have you, have you seen the the photo of the guns they found in doing the bridge repair? There's There's this photo of, this giant pile of guns that were found just when they were, you know, cleaning up the bottom right around the bridge piers. So uh, <laughs> pretty amazing. I think some of them go back, some, you know, some of them go back to prohibition. So part of that, part of that whole thing. And I'd imagine every once in a while you might find a car. Further down there, we haven't, I, I haven't found any, but I did want to mention, but no, I did want to mention Justin and Paige talked about some of the partnerships Another big course is the International Wildlife Refuge, but there's also a friends group for the Detroit River, Friends of the Detroit River, and they do a lot of great work as well. And they have some fundraising dinners and and things of along those lines. So that's another avenue for people to get involved if they want to. And a lot of people are involved, I think, are locals. So a great way to kind of get in touch with other you know, like-headed, um, environmentally oriented folks. Well, at the end of every conversation I have for the podcast, uh, I like to ask for a wish. And we talked about this earlier, but if you could grant a wish for Gross Eel or the river communities or, or the whole region, um, say, you know, the whole region that Alpena covers, what would that be? And each of you can answer separately. You don't need to fight over it. Um, I would say we've all been able to experience the Great Lakes and recently becoming a mom. It's something I would like to hand off in either the same condition, if not hopefully much better to future generations. So if we could all just kind of be conscious of what we're doing to the environment around us and make a positive effort to make it better, that would be my wish. We have this great opportunity. We live in an awesome state. Just keep it that way. (laughs) I guess I'll go next. I wish and hope that uh, like the residents of the Detroit metro area get out and enjoy the river and the natural environment that's pretty close to them. You know, when I first moved here, I didn't really have a good appreciation for the river and the opportunity it provides. So that's my wish. Kind of thinking along the same lines, Justin, my wish is for the the river, the Detroit River and you know, St. Clair River as well to kind of start to receive even more of that positive recognition that it's it's been gaining in the years, which has mostly, I think, been through kind of the waterfowl and angler and community, but it is a great resource and it would be great if that was, um, continues to be recognized and can kind of put some of those old stereotypes um, <clears throat> that have kind of been lingering from the industrial area behind us and start start to recognize what a great, great set of resources we have. Now I feel like I have to come up with a great one, (laughs) but um, yeah, I think 
the other three will tell you there's no secret that I love sturgeon and I may be the craziest sturgeon person out of all of us. So I have to say, like, I just. You can make a wish for the sturgeon. I Yeah, I wish for the sturgeon and I hope that they do well and that in the future there's going to be more of those giant fish and there'll be more opportunities for like the public to experience like this fish. So hopefully the Detroit river can have a fishing season or yeah. (laughs) Well, I'll tell you that uh, the, the sturgeon that's at the, at Lake Erie Metro park um, that's in that case uh, when my son, my, he's now 13. So he must've been like eight or nine when he first saw it. And it scared him so bad. We had to leave immediately and couldn't go back to the Metro park because just knowing it was there, just, it made it so horrible, but well, they're really will, not that scary, especially if you yeah, think of it as a rhinoceros. Out there, they may look scary because they're big and they have basically look like they have armor, but I have to tell you, they do not have teeth, so they cannot bite. Um, I think the worst they could do is probably smack you with their tail. So, or or you could be one of the people that has to lift it into the boat. That's probably yeah. the worst thing it could do. To <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for the work that you're doing. You know, it's uh, it it actually sounds like your work is very exciting. It's uh, it's thrilling in in so many ways. Not only when you're catching a 100 year old sturgeon and uh, and measuring it and it sounds like you really love your job and and i'm so glad that i get to meet you guys and and get to share your story about all this so i appreciate you guys and i and the folks all the rest of the folks at the fish and wildlife service and uh, you and the partnerships in the great lakes are preserving one of our continent's greatest resources we hear about this with climate change that you know the great lakes are the you know the greatest source of fresh water and, and all that and You're a very important part of preserving really the continent's greatest resources. And we happen to just live in the middle of it. And I thank you guys so much. Thank you for letting us be a part of this today. Appreciate the opportunity to talk about some of the work we do, Ben. Thank you. Wasn't that great? It's certainly no fish story to say that recreational fishing is a major part of the local economy. The Detroit River Coalition says that recreational fishing in the Detroit River Lake St. Clair system generates over $10 million. The health of all of our native fish species are critical to that. We all owe a lot of thanks to Justin, Paige, Jenny, and Jason for their dedication to the lakes and rivers and even the fish. What's the Deal Gross Eel is a production of Fote Media Productions LLC and is edited by me, Ben Fote. Like, comment, subscribe, share, rate, and review with links in the episode notes. Each of those does help. Thank you for listening to What's the Deal, Grossio?